0: This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 489 for January 6th, 2015. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. Uh, this is Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and my usual co-host. Susie Oakes, the executive editor of Macworld, is on assignment. Well, she's actually in San Francisco, but she's dealing with the absolute flood of stories that are pouring out of CES The annual trek that uh, dealers, uh, this is computer and technology dealers, I should say, not other kinds of dealers, go to Las Vegas as well as a huge contingent of tech journalists to find out what kind of things are coming out or what kind of things companies allege they might ship in 2016. It's a big show and you can go to Macworld.com to see uh, and our other sister sites like PCWorld.com and TechHive and see the kinds of news that's coming out of the show if you're interested in the flood of stuff. A lot of stuff that appears at CES never appears again. That's why it's – I've only been once, but it's fascinating to go because you see what companies uh, think dealers might want to purchase. It's mostly a trade show to plan purchases and and secondarily is a show where the press gets to see stuff and companies get to show off and get some exposure of the kind they often can't summon uh, during the regular news cycle. But having all the press there lets them do that. It's interesting dynamic. So joining me instead, while all the news goes at CES, which is very much not Apple News for the most part, almost entirely not Apple News. Apple doesn't participate um, as a vendor at CES. Uh, Joining me is Krista Mergen from CivilCo. She's the co-founder and uh, designer, VP of product at a company that is making a new kind of civil commenting system. Krista, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Glenn. It's great to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you, and you are a, a longtime member of the uh, of the uh, Apple world in the sense of uh, being a, a designer, product developer. In uh, well, you're at Rogue Amoeba for many years, and uh, a lot of people listening probably use, uh, if they're especially involved in audio, probably use a product you had your hands on. Uh, what else were you? Uh, I mean, Audio Hijack is the is the best known, I would say, uh, that that I'm aware of. What else did you work on at uh, at Rogue Amoeba?
1: Oh wow. Well, it was so many years that I was there. We had a one a, a bunch of really great products. Um so Airfoil is um for for streaming audio around your home. Um is Love wonderful. Airfoil. There's uh Fission, the lossless audio editor. Um Piezo, which was um well still is like a uh a small very lightweight version of Audio Hijack. Um it's just sort of like a a two-click record um application that's fun and and designed based on um a vintage radio. So that was really fun. Oh, just so many projects and, and a lot of updates to existing apps, um, you know, a few new apps. And uh, they're a really wonderful company um, making Mac software to work with. Yeah.
0: Longtime firm uh, that they've yeah. been making software for a long time. They're kind of in the BB Edit, uh, or uh, sorry, Barebones uh, BB Edit school. Like, I don't know how long uh, Paul Cassis has been. Uh, in the field, but it's been quite a while.
1: It's been has well, been around decades. for over ten years, yeah. And yeah. then he he and Quentin had worked together before forming Rogamiba too for a couple of years. So um gosh, I want to say it's about twelve years old now, Rogamiba.
0: It's, uh, and I use, uh, I'm using audio Hadjack right now as you are. And, uh, version three is a great, uh, great update. And, uh, I use fission at least once a week, sometimes several times a week to go in and poke at MP3s and AACs without having to, uh, convert them and lose stuff, you know, take a lossy format and convert it to another format. It's a great little inline, um, editor. And it's my go-to when I just have like a double, you know, single recording. I use it all the time. And, uh, also use uh, airfoil all the time. So I guess I, <laughs> I I use your products. I see your design all the time. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I brought you on the show so we can talk about a few different things. There's some news, uh, some Apple TV stuff we're going to talk about. And then we're going to talk about uh, commenting systems, because I think this is something that uh, it may not be Apple product specific, but I know that it's a continuous issue for most people who use the internet <laughs> and oh, yes. go to websites. So we'll We'll talk about that. I wanted to lead off with, you know, the only news that I've seen that's uh, really seriously Apple-focused, um, I guess there are two things. There was were some HomeKit announcements coming out uh, early in CES, and I'm still trying to track what's going on there because uh, HomeKit seems like a technology Apple really wanted to throw its weight behind for, um, you know, home automation and home monitoring, uh, and I, we just haven't seen that much yet. And um, maybe CES, by the end of this week, will see more of what's coming, but we're almost a year into when Apple... Uh, said it would happen. Um, the, the, so there, there were some. Uh, there was a, a announcement of a thermostat, like a Nest-like thermostat that will use HomeKit. Um, and we saw mm-hmm. Hub last year, and there's some light bulbs and some other things coming out. But we don't have the full ecosystem that I think has to emerge. Uh, but the, the other thing uh, that that came um, at least early on is Griffin's announcement. Griffin's a long-time Apple-oriented uh, company, making all kinds of accessories and. Uh, great stuff! I've owned—I can't even think of how many Griffin products I've owned over the years because, yeah. you know, I need a cable or an adapter or that neat little stainless steel dial. Remember the di- the the knob they made? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember that? It was, it was a joke, and then people liked it so much they made it. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the magnetic connector. I d- I and mean, do you have? Do you, did you get a twelve-inch MacBook? Was that on your uh, agenda I, this last year? I haven't
1: made that plunge yet. I still have my uh, Retina um, MacBook it is a 13 inch but it's from um I bought it in 2013 so it is really needing you know to be replaced now I mean that's that's not a a terribly like it's it's not worn out or anything like that but it's I definitely feel like it's it's time to upgrade and Nevin my husband has um one of the little 12 inches and um I really like it it's great the only thing is that um I do a lot of design work on the laptop, and I really just like having that slightly bigger screen. Yeah. And so I don't know that I – but at um, at my office, I use an external um, monitor, and so I think, you know, for the most part, it would be fine. It's just that it's sort of the – I don't know if I want to do it as far as, like, working in coffee shops, working just on my couch, that sort of thing. So I haven't made the plunge, but they are so cute and so lightweight, and, and just I love the design, so – um, but I haven't I haven't made that plunge yet. But um, yeah, this break safe um, adapter looks pretty cool, and and like what it what it needs to to be, you know. Uh, you have uh, you
0: have two small children, and I do. Uh, have they yanked the uh, or have or have the adults yanked Devin's laptop off a table surface yet?
1: Not yet, fortunately. Yeah, <laughs> not yet. But um, we're pretty, you know, they they stay sort of well away from computers generally, unless you know mom and mom or dad are are with them helping them out. So. Um, I mean, and they would love to play with them all the time, but uh, typically the computers are safely out of reach.
0: That's kind of our thing. We, we did that when uh, my kids were young. We put the, we, we left our computers to sort of our day-to-day computer laptops uh, up and out of the way with the cords tucked out of the way. And we still do that so they're in less danger because they're just not somewhere anyone has access to. The kids are totally trustworthy now. They have their own laptop even. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we don't we don't mess with that. But, yeah, you know, back when the uh, 12-inch MacBook came out, I wrote a piece for MacWorld that people can find in the archives about the physics of, you know, how much force does it take to yank the USB-C cable uh, out of its <laughs> jack before, <laughs> like how much will the laptop move before the cord comes out? And um, the answer, I, I don't know, I talked to physicists, I talked to an astrophysicist who has, has physics background, of course, <laughs> and a consulting engineer and a bunch of different people, the uh, aerospace engineer, and um, the ultimate answer was if you pull, Straight out, the laptop probably won't move more than like millimeters before it pops out. But mm-hmm. any other angle, which is how MagSafe works, is like every angle except straight out is where it shears off. Mm. And um, this new Griffith item that's going to ship ostensibly in April uh, for $40, the BrakeSafe magnetic USB-C power cable is a, uh, uh, like a little nubbin with a magnet at the end. So you stick the nubbin in the USB-C slot and then uh, attach the uh, other part. Uh, of the cable to that, and um, and I think uh, if I remember right, uh, the um, the other part of the cable will go into a connector, so you'll be able to use uh, you know the the full charging cable, which is an mm-hmm. issue because you have to have a higher wattage cable uh, to charge. And Apple ships one, but they're not in ready supply right now. Um, I've been trying to test USB-C batteries for MacWorld because there's a bunch of USB external battery packs that now have. Um, if there's two I have in hand, and a third coming that have a USB-C port and you could charge uh, directly at high amperage. You could charge a 12-inch MacBook. But um, it's hard to get the right cable combination for me to test the highest uh, wattage. And I have a little power, uh, USB power monitor thing that would let me see and track how much power is transferred but it reduces the amperage because it doesn't have the right connector so i can go through the old style usb but then it it shuts it you know only charges about 50 percent of the rate so anyway (laughs) it's it's one of these things that uh um the technology is advancing faster than the ability to to test it but uh Mm. (laughs) yeah i'll probably i'm sure i'll buy one of these to to test at least when it comes out it's a six foot cable that's right Mm -hmm. Uh, and it'll plug yeah so it'll it's a it's a really interesting idea. I wonder if the market's there for it, but uh, but we'll see.
1: Right. Well, it's kind of surprising that that Apple didn't do something like this. Um, you know, just initially. But um, I don't
0: know. I don't. Yeah, I still try to figure out. I assume there's going to be a revision. There should be a revision to the MacBook. That um, maybe. I mean, is it going to have two ports? So keep talking about. Will they actually put a second port on because right. people were. Uh, So aggravated uh, about the one port thing, or agitated, I should say. I love the machine. It sounds like Nevin likes his. He's kept it, Mm -hmm. so he must (laughs) (laughs) must like it. I like the lightweightness, and I don't even travel with it that much. I just like having a tiny Retina computer. It replaced a MacBook Air for me.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, But I see the issue. I mean, you went from Retina to – going from Retina to another – Machine for me, I was going for non-retina on a laptop. Oh, so, huge
1: difference! Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. So
0: it, it seems so much better that I didn't, and I didn't care so much. I don't do a lot of design, although I did wind up laying out part of a huge, like a eighteen hundred page book in InDesign on the twelve inch MacBook, and it was fine. Oh, it was nice, hard. <laughs> I could zoom out, I could zoom out and see detail if I had yeah. really, really good eyesight. Um, <laughs> other thing I wanted to chat about briefly was a uh, story broke over the holidays. It wasn't exactly that the story broke, but. Uh, you know this. This um, I don't know. It's this thing that keeps coming up around Apple products. Typically, that uh, uh, Apple. You know, Apple has been, uh, had a lot of vul- vulnerabilities disclosed in 2015. I wrote about a lot of those for the uh, Private mm-hmm. Eye column at MacWorld. And uh, this <laughs> uh, this company, uh, sorry, this uh, site came out with a uh, discussion of um, the number of vulnerabilities. They counted them uh, for OS 10 and iOS and said, "Oh, look at this! It's the worst vulnerable system." Okay. But they discounted. They didn't actually look at the severity. They didn't look at whether anything had happened in the wild. And in mm. truth, Apple uh, sometimes didn't respond quickly enough. There were a bunch of things early in the year, in fact, that Apple took way too long to respond uh, to about firmware problem, or firmware uh, boot vulnerabilities and uh, uh, some other issues related to the, Apple st- uh, the App Store on OS X. Um, they eventually uh, seemed to have crossed off all the, all the exploits. But um, there were really no real reports of these being exploited. They didn't have vectors like right. uh, worms. I don't know. I th- I feel like uh, I don't want to defend Apple in this way, but I want to defend the idea of objective reporting and say why would you <laughs> so everybody wants right. to find an Apple angle. Apple's oh, yeah. failing.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. I mean somebody I mean everybody wants, you know, something, you know, extreme and negative to re- report. I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's just it's sensationalizing it a bit. Um but yeah, so um it doesn't seem like it was it was ever as big an issue as as a lot of places made it out to be. Um, and yeah, the, the Macalope article um, you were talking about before uh, we started recording, it says a- Apple's actually third down on the list, you know, as far as like the number of exploitations if you look at it by vendor. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah.
0: It's, that's just a funny <laughs> – I know it just comes back again and again. I just keep seeing these things where I'm like, I don't want to um, – I I find a, I find myself put in a position like I don't need to defend a multi-billion dollar company but more right. I want to defend the notion of <laughs> let's look at the stuff that Apple uh in fact, the Mac listed here's a bunch of things uh year end thing here's a bunch of things that uh Apple isn't doing well we talk about them this podcast you no know, the Mac app store and uh the lack uh. of de- I mean the, the demo <laughs> issue on and iOS and i upgrades and trials and uh the approval time the review process uh some of its issues about you know what uh uh open systems. Like, why does iMessage not interoperate with anything else? These are all things we could talk about and complain about endlessly. Yeah, But not (laughs) security, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, We also were going to talk briefly uh, since in the holidays, uh, I think you and I both had an opportunity to spend more time with a new Apple TV. So you've got a new, uh, a current generation Apple TV. What's your impression Mm -hmm. of, of the beast having had it for uh, some (laughs) weeks now?
1: Oh yeah. Um, we've had it for a while. Um, I love it. The, um, the interface is just so much better. Um, I mean, it's, it's visually much more pleasing. It it was the Apple TVs interface took a long time to sort of catch up with, um, the rest of Apple's aesthetic I felt. Mm -hmm. Um, so So it's been, it's been really nice to see just visually how much nicer it is, but it's also, it feels more intuitive. Um, it feels more responsive and alive. Um, I just, I just think they've done a really great job with that. Um, so yeah, overall, I really, I really love the new Apple TV. Um, I do have some issues with it, of course. Um, the remote is still terrible. Oh man. So, do you remember? Do you remember the white plastic remote that shipped with like the very first generation Apple TV? It also, it's st- the same remote that used to come with like MacBooks and stuff way back. I still have a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, okay. So those were garbage, right? Yeah. Those were. Terrible. Oh gosh, like the like the clicky plastic button, just like so. No, not Could good. Did you
0: ever get the battery out to replace it? I still am not sure how you no. get the battery out of those things.
1: No idea. No, <laughs> I think we just bought a new one, but. um But yeah, so then the, that, the aluminum silver remote came out. Um, and that was an improvement, but it still was not great and not, it was very just like not responsive. Like half the time I'd have to push, you know, any given button like three or four times. Um, it looked great, but, um, that was, that was not a great remote. And this new remote is better. It's like definitely, definitely an improvement, but it's still not a great remote. It's just not great to use. It's beautiful. It's a really, it's probably like the prettiest remote by far that, that, I own or have owned, but um, yeah, it's just it's just really annoying to use. Um, I end up um, using the iOS app a lot more to navigate, which is kind of a bummer because it doesn't have um, Siri, which is kind of fun. And you know, it doesn't always work perfectly well. But I, you know, I have used Siri um, to find things a few times, and it's been helpful. Um, I really like the open in Netflix option um, that it gives you when you you know request a specific title or whatever. Um, so yeah but uh it also it does the um the ios app remote also doesn't um wiggle the artwork which is very silly i know <laughs> but you know you get that little like 3d wiggle action and, yeah. and that's really fun and i like that um with the new with the new remote but um the trackpad uh,
0: on it uh, app uh, designer uh, uh, insight so wait so if you use <laughs> the if you use the ios app mm-hmm. and you it doesn't wiggle the apps
1: it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work on the apps when you, when you tap on them. That's very like, funny. I'm just like really bummed out about like, that. What did they, uh. <laughs> it's, it's very silly. Uh, yeah, did, but, now, uh, have
0: you wound up installing many apps or using the, the stock stuff that, uh, that came with it?
1: Oh, no, we've, we've installed a few apps. Um, so we, we actually have bought, um, a number of games that are, that are fun, um, to play on Apple TV. Um, Nevin, actually, my husband, um, has a couple of games, uh, which I'm going to plug now. Uh, The Incident. Yes, yes. And, uh, Space Age are available for Apple TV. And I you know, um, oh. you know, we were waiting for so long for the Apple TV to have a, um, to have an app store so that, um, we could, you know, so he could put these iOS games, make them available for Apple TV, and they're really fun to play on a big screen. Um, but there are other fun games we have, too. I don't know if you've seen Octodad. Oh, it's, I've
0: just heard. We, there's a Macworld oh, review so silly. up. Uh, in fact, I think <laughs> Susie Oaks posted a thing saying it's full of dad jokes like Len makes. So uh, obviously, <laughs> yeah, I, I need to go play it, clearly. It's
1: really frustrating and kind of awesome. Just the, the premise is really silly. Um, for those who don't know, it's um, you are an octopus who is trying to pretend to be a uh, a suburban dad. <laughs> <laughs> and, but you have to like the whole the whole interface is just doing like normal human things, but you have these really difficult to control like octopus arms, oh my and so gosh. you're just sort of like flopping around and you know trying not to get caught and outed as an octopus. So it's just very silly and fun. To um, so like that we have you know a lot of so we have the HBO Now app, we have the Hulu or sorry not Hulu uh, Netflix and. Um, it, Let's see. No, there's no Amazon Prime app, so soon, I'm confusing. Soon, apparently. Yeah. Allegedly, oh, really? there's Amazon oh, Prime I thought app there coming. Was a, I thought they were being frozen out. Interesting. Well, there,
0: okay. a, I don't know. That's the thing. is, if they, I, uh, We talked about this a little bit before, but I think Apple would get into hot water if they refused under this system. Under the old system, I think they had too much control. Under mm. this one, I think they would wind up being uh, subject to uh, unwanted scrutiny. About yeah, <laughs> I know,
1: yeah, yeah, which is why, yeah. I was surprised what, but a, I thought it was. Too-
0: a customer service person from Amazon who may not be in the know, they may not have even been told, but they said, oh yeah, one's coming like a few weeks oh, ago. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh good, okay, good. well, will I'm great. glad to hear that.
1: Yeah, oh, that'll be, that'll be awesome. Um, our Roku will probably be, um, you know, used even less now.
0: Yeah, I've got kind of a strange use of the Apple TV because uh, um, I'm in some of the ecosystem, not in some of it. And, and I think we do most of our Streaming watching, actually from Amazon Prime, uh, oh, free streaming, like a lot of the mm-hmm. shows we want are on amazon. and if and sometimes, you know it won't be on Netflix. It'll be Hulu. You have to pay for Hulu to watch it, right. uh, or you have to pay iTunes for a, a rental or download. and uh, and it's free on Amazon. So we wind up we have a Samsung TV, which is a terrible um, interface. <laughs> Although it has gotten better, it used to crash. My kids used to say the TV lies. Uh, about our Samsung, (laughs) because there's a dedicated Amazon button. They'd hit it. It would launch essentially like an Amazon, like I think it rebooted the TV. Every time you switch to like Netflix or Amazon, it has, I think there's like a Samsung OS and then there's like a virtual environment in which the Netflix thing runs. Uh Yeah, So it would start up and it would have this spinny thing on screen and then it wouldn't run. And the kids would have to like do it several times. It would have to reboot itself several times. And then finally the Amazon streaming thing would come up. Well, that's fixed. Like actually we can just hit a button and do uh, Amazon streaming, and I just want to see oh, that interface brought nice. yeah. over to the Apple TV. Um, mm-hmm. but I also use something called, um, I think I've talked about this a little bit, so I won't bore listeners, but uh, uh, over the air recording, mm-hmm. we have an HD uh, home run from, uh, I think it's called Silicon Dust, which I reviewed last year for Macworld. You, I punch that in my network into uh, Elgato's ITV software, EYE TV software, to mm-hmm. record stuff over the air, and it handles that as a DVR thing on my Mac. Then I have it automatically export to iTunes, and then I can use the Apple TV <laughs> to browse to my computer and watch recorded TV. So I have the equivalent of a DVR. It's not fantastic. Awesome. But then there's software that I've been looking at called Channels that's, I think it's 15 bucks, which seems like a lot in the ecosystem, but it lets you use uh, the HD Home Run, which is a networked device. You can use it to tune directly. So it gives you live TV, not DVR functions on Very Apple nice. TV, mm-hmm. and it works beautifully. It gives you previews of the current movie, It shows you where things are at. You can customize the channels you see, and if you have a cable card version of HD Home Run, you essentially can tune live cable through your Apple TV. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, it's a neat. I mean, it's a neat option. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like it's all these things kind of you know collide at some point where they're all you're getting all these different ecosystems, (laughs) and uh, we don't have we have no cable subscriptions. so we're still and we don't feel like we're missing too much. But then there's something like I want to watch New Year's Eve, uh, you know. the uh, the ball drop and we had a heck of a time trying to figure (laughs) out where live feed I didn't want to watch CNN thank you Uh, uh, we have had a heck of time figuring that out but eventually found a like online live feed that I was able to use airplay to the Apple TV so that we could see it on our television
1: nice
0: Um, yeah I'm very interested how games develop there were a lot of games discussion early on uh, about you know the limitations of the Apple TV, especially how mm-hmm. assets would load um, for bigger games, and uh, so I'm really curious to see how that develops. So I have to try out Octod- Octodad. I am a, a, a formerly a dedicated incident player, uh, sorry, <laughs> in, in, incident player. Um, which is a hilarious game. I can't – like I love as I get into higher levels and I see objects I didn't know were in the game. They start yes. to appear. <laughs> it was pretty fun. So I have to try that on Apple TV as well. Uh, and, you know, Peacalc on Apple TV. It's a great product. I like Peak. Yes. I have Peacalc mm-hmm. on every platform. Oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. Also,
1: there are a few media apps Sorry, that I also enjoy. Um, oh, yeah. Ted has a really good app actually. Yes. Um, so it's it's nice to it's a little odd to have all of these very like site specific apps instead of um you know like you're saying like open open TV or open web, but um but it works well you know like this this very um very well curated um and, and easy to navigate interface for for each um you know media outlet I suppose um, like PBS or like TED. Okay.
0: yeah i like the pbs app i was just doing that where you have to like you know create an account and log in and, and use a validation code right. uh, but once you've entered it you get access it's weird the pbs app has it's hard to tell when they have full programs mm. or just mm-hmm. clips but it's a right. it's a great way to zo- you can you can sort of browse what's available and then mm-hmm. we've got you know essentially a dvr for pbs one of the reasons mm-hmm. i got the dvr up, i did was to record PBS. It's a lot of what we record, like Miss Fisher's mm-hmm. and Sherlock and um, Father Brown, like all the mysteries that are on there, and, and some mm-hmm. other programming. Great British uh, Bake Off. I just oh, yeah. uh, heard we need. Mm-hmm. My wife and I were told we need to watch that, so we're gonna start recording that off PBS. Uh, so being able to preview that in the app, even if we can't watch full episodes. It's kind of neat as opposed to having to you know mess around the web to find the same thing i just to have it on the tv um, the smithsonian app is really nice and they have full length nice. documentaries in there oh, and i don't know what the licensing one. are but i was just looking at that the other day that's and awesome. i was like i could lose myself in here for a few weeks just watching <laughs> cool stuff that's available uh, so yeah i think the i think that ecosystem of streaming uh, content it's just so much more pleasantly presented mm-hmm. um I find myself doing the same thing. I just use the iOS app because the, I, can never, I don't, can't even figure out which way the Siri remote is up or down. And the thing that gets <laughs> me, I think you will appreciate this as someone who does user interaction. Uh, I'm sure this has happened to you. I'm using a multi-tabbed view. Like um, you're browsing another uh, iTunes library, another machine through the Apple TV. And there's three tabs at the top, like uh, all shows, uh, not viewed or something like that, and by mm-hmm. date. Mm-hmm. And this the remote, when you use the touch part, you, it will recognize any left-right motion no matter how slight to switch tabs, even yes. when you're scrolling up and down.
1: Oh gosh. And you can slow down the tracking, which I've done, but even at its slowest, it's just way too sensitive. And it's just, oh, it's such a pain. And the same as sort of skipping through um, anything that you're watching too. It's really it's really difficult to control where you are on the timeline. Um yeah, it's it's a pain. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I feel, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. I wanted them to be able to expand that ecosystem if they really mm-hmm. want to do games, even the casual, you know, fun family games, not serious mm-hmm. involved console style stuff. Right. I feel like having multiple controllers that are not ridiculously expensive that have the same functionality would be great. And that doesn't yeah. it's not exactly the option right now, so.
1: Yeah. So the the Roku remote, if I can talk about oh, the yeah, Roku talk 3 about, for I don't a own a
0: Roku. I have, I owned one a long time ago. I've not used any of the modern Roku equipment.
1: Okay, so the Roku 3 is what we have, which is um, a couple years old now, but I just, I really love the remote. It's not pretty. Like if you look at the, um, the Apple TV remote next to the Roku remote, like the Apple TV is just so much remote. It's just so much prettier. Um, it's a really sleek, really small, nice little remote, but the Roku remote is, it's not huge. It's, um, I don't know, maybe six inches. Uh, but it's rounded and sort of chunky and cute and it just fits really <laughs> nicely in your hand. It doesn't have too many buttons, but what's really great about it, so the um the navigation the navigational part of it is just like a standard D-pad, you know, up, down, left, right. Mm-hmm. But um it has these AB buttons on the bottom. So if you turn it sideways, it becomes um it has the functionality of like an old NES controller, you know, where you have the D-pad on the left and you have an AB button on the right. So you can totally use it as a game controller. Now it doesn't have unfortunately the ecosystem that um Apple TV and iOS have, so it doesn't have as many games available, unfortunately. But um, but there are you know a, a ton of a ton of things to choose from, and then also the the great feature for me that I really love about this remote is it has um, a headphone jack. So oh, you know yeah. you just plug your headphones right into the remote and control the volume there, so you're not disturbing other people in the house. Um, anyway, so that's my little love affair with the Roku remote, and the Roku itself and its interface are fine. Um, but they're, you know, the Apple TV, especially the new, the new version of Apple TV just blows it away. Um, I just wish that somehow Apple could find a middle ground between, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know like it feels like with the Apple TV remote, they, they just went completely for looks over, over everything, which, and I know that's, you know, you know, a beautiful aesthetic is really important. It's important to me as a designer, but it shouldn't, I think in this case, it, it under, um, it undermines the actual experience of using it. And so I don't, you know, I don't think that beauty should overtake um, actually using the thing. So I wish, you know, I wish that Apple would find a middle ground with their remote um, and they should look at Roku's because it's pretty sweet. Well, so, did, okay, that's my you, rant about that. Yeah, I, like <laughs> the,
0: I like the rant. Well, that's that's my question is, you know, as, as a designer, if somebody does UI UX and you, you have to, I know a lot of what you do is on the software side, but you have mm-hmm. clearly have insight into the hardware side as well as, and I don't do that at all. And I can say, thinking about this. Did anybody at Apple really spend thousands of hours with this thing right. while it was being prototyped? Because <laughs> the most basic, the most basic activities I want to accomplish as an experienced person with good hand-eye coordination, right? <laughs> I've spent uh, I've been using a mouse since 1985. I have I, I have a cousin who once said I had jet fight jet. He had done testing, uh, UI UX testing. and He said I had jet fighter pilot reflexes in terms of hand eye coordination. <laughs> so I know where I am on the scale, right? I'm 99th percentile. I can't get the thing to work appropriately. I'm like I pick it up and I feel like I'm a, a you know a toddler who has <laughs> the, doesn't have good motor control. Like yeah. how did adults at Apple try this and say eh, it's good
1: enough? You know, it right. just doesn't make sense to me. It's really frustrating. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know I don't know I what don't the know. answer is there.
0: But there'll be another generation. I mean, Apple yeah. likes to iterate. It's just their they, stuff yeah. now. I feel like the big problem Apple has is that they produce such beautifully finished products that it overwhelms the sense of um, iteration that they used to do. They used to produce products that had some flaws but at high utility and you'd overcome mm. the flaws to use them. That's kind of almost a Hitchhiker's Guide joke about the mm. minor yeah. flaws and <laughs> flaws. Uh, but well, now I feel like they produce things that are – like the Apple Watch is almost perfect hardware, but the system doesn't work for me. Or the the remote is almost perfectly designed in the sense of how it works uh, functionally and what it looks mm-hmm. like, but it doesn't achieve the results. And I feel like that seems like a very important missing piece they used to not miss. Yes. Or Or you'd be coping. You'd know there was some good and bad. But it would look like that. You'd know there were things you were overcoming. I, I mean, the white remote control is a good example. It didn't work very well. It's It was um, very cheap. And then they iterated into the aluminum one, which was a much better evolution. mm mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, so we're going to move on to one more topic today. And uh, I should make the disclaimer, uh, this is not a sales pitch for your company. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how if any of the listeners this podcast would even be potential uh, customers. Um, but I think it's something that, uh, you know, especially especially as we don't have a lot of Apple news going on right now, I would love to dive into this a bit about the accommodating the co- uh, civility and, um, and the nature of the internet. And um, I thought it was great you were going to dove in there with a the new company is uh, I'm sure a, a I'm gonna gonna guarantee that any average listener, hello listeners to this podcast, is someone who reads and participates in comment forums. But I think there's a huge overlap between people who uh, listen to podcasts or are interested in technology and want to get into things with people, and um, and uh, and want to believe that they're interacting in a way that's appropriate that lets discussion advance. They want to learn. They want to share their knowledge and learn. And I feel like internet culture has devolved to a point where a lot of sites are dropping comments because they're like, look, mm-hmm. we can't even deal with this. Uh, others just have, um, you know, horrible vitriol going on or just flame wars leap <laughs> <Yes>. out. <clears throat> and I, I will point out, in contrast, amazingly, I'm associated with three sites where the comments are not terrible mac world mm-hmm. we don't have a ton of comments some articles get you know dozens or hundred but even when i get i'll read a mac 911 co- uh, column and i'll get six or seven comments and they are polite and interesting and uh someone will point out an extra tip uh tidbits i built the comment system there it's a it's a chewing gum and bailing wire it's not a beautiful system uh, but it works <laughs> it works for our purposes and uh tidbits uh we have a very active commenting um, uh, group there, but it's very tightly knit. People don't typically come from outside to comment, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a great degree of civility there as well. <laughs> and then wire cutter, we use a uh, discus at the wire cutter, mm-hmm. and um, even in that system, uh, it's got tools to prevent abuse and there's ways to throttle things and respond. But in general, wire cutter commenters are typically very thoughtful because they want to. Learn more about a product, or they want to react to their experience with a product, and they want to hear more from somebody who is ostensibly more of an expert, having tested more devices. So I'm in the weird position of most of my experience as a writer and editor are with systems that almost work or work well, and that mm-hmm. is not the rest of the internet. So, so right. I mean, that's all context, but you are leaping into this fray. <laughs> Uh, what possesses you to try to <laughs> try to solve some part of this?
1: Right. Well, I know. And it's I mean, it's a huge problem for a lot of sites. And I think um, I think there are tons of sites with great commenting communities um, that are respectful, um, that do have this this great knowledge sharing, um, you know, sensibility and well, like and and think. Websites like Metafilter or Stack Overflow have really oh, yeah. great communities that that just work really well. Um, and it seems to be like this: there's that establishment of of these social expectations um, that probably Tidbits has, you know, and Macworld has. Um, but then also, um, like with Stack Overflow, there are these trust levels and, you know, asking people to call out bad behavior. So it's sort of like it's the community itself um, that is sort of self-policing. And mm-hmm. that's what we wanted to capture for these more mainstream news sites that have huge problems with comments. And so my friend Asia, um, Asia Bogdanov, um, co-founder and CEO of CivilCo, she came to me um, last year and said, you know, I think I found a way to fix online comments. And I was like, oh, you're, you found a way to turn them all off. She's <laughs> she was like, no, okay. No, really. Um, so she had been working at TED actually managing their online community um, and building tools for them on the back end. Um, and then just realized like, okay, I just need to go and do this and, and figure this out. Um, and so we've arrived at crowdsourced moderation. Um, and that's, that's really the crux of this. It's um, getting users to rate each other's comments as um, whether or not they're Civil and whether or not they're high quality, and so we've separated that out from whether or not a person thinks a comment is, um, whether or not they like a comment, basically, Um, and then whether or not the comment is civil and respectful. And so, it's sort of this this good middle ground, I think, between just having you know a wild west free for all um, open comments platform, and then also. Um, between having you know sort of shadowy overlord moderators who come in anonymously huh. and just delete stuff after the fact without explaining why mm-hmm. or what have you, so um, yeah, so how our system works is we 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 basically ask the community to do sort of like like civil service. Um, they have to read other people's comments um, before their own comment can finish being submitted. Um, and so far, in all of our testing, has worked really well. Um, we are launching this this month with our first customer. Uh, I can't say who it is, but um that will be revealed soon enough, hopefully. So in the next couple of weeks that'll that'll be out. Um, so I'm super excited to see how it works um, in the real world. We've done a lot of refining and a lot of testing, and a lot of it is just um, user behavior and just sort of helping people create new social norms because everyone, I think everyone really feels like their their actions are justified. So when you're commenting and you you've just had a bad day, or whatever, and you say something rude, like you really feel like this is a justified thing that you're putting out there into the internet. And it's not the way you would behave in real life, you know, because there are all of these um, social norms and all these consequences, whereas online there just aren't consequences really um, for bad behavior, not not in most um, commenting communities anyway. Um, So yeah, we're trying to curb that a bit and uh, help people establish these um, social norms and uh, a new online etiquette.
0: You know, I had the uh, opportunity to interview uh, Jeffrey Lynn, who uh, is known as uh, Light L Y T E or Riot Light over at um, League of Legends, and mm-hmm. he uh, is a, a scientist who got hired when they were trying to figure out how to solve their culture problems. Oh. Um, and he is—I would recommend. I will uh, going to make a note to myself to put this into the uh, into the um, uh, show notes. But if you search for Jeffrey Lynn L I N, and uh, you can find presentations he gave at some game conferences that are astonishing because they have a massive system. They have uh, tens of millions mm-hmm. of monthly regular users who are right. very intent and it's always a pure situation. Uh, you're playing in competitions or with other people and uh, they've used machine learning. And uh, behavioral testing, all mm-hmm. fully disclosed to people. Uh, all the, it's a very community-oriented uh, situation where they are not trying to push norms on top, but figure out what the norms or, are, have them rise out of people's interests, and then uh, partly mechanize and partly mm-hmm. peer-enable mm-hmm. that to become the norm that's then enforced. Nice. And They're and they're played worldwide. I mean, it's a huge presence in South Korea and other countries. Not just an American or Western European thing. So they're trying to conform to different social expectations, whether those involve a degree of negativity uh, or not. They're not trying to say no negativity. They're trying to say, oh yeah, exactly. You don't
1: want that. It's you know, it's not all Pollyanna. um, You know, let's hold hands and sing. But um, you know, but people need to (laughs) yeah. People need to be able to have disagreements. Um, and they need to argue about things, but they need to do it in a way that's just respectful and, you know, just civil, basically. And, you know, absolutely, um, news news um, comments especially need to be a place where people can debate and discuss different ideas and not, but just, you know, not be subjected to harassment and just personal attacks, which is what ends up happening so quickly um, in, you know, in a broader audience um, in mainstream um, media and commenting sections. So yeah, I mean, and and we're using machine learning as well. We have mm-hmm. a lot of algorithms. So it seems like a lot of systems have tried that have tried, um, you know, using algorithms put the machines first and sort yeah. of like algorithmically screen something and then pass it on to a human moderator. And so we reverse that. Actually, we um, we have the people um, make the first sort of pass and decision, and then we have um, a lot of well, we have a lot of stuff going on in the background as far as like which comments you're seeing. Um, and, and sort of who's getting your comment and how many people are rating each comment. And, um, is there a consensus here? What is the trust level of who's writing what? So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff happening in the background as far as like what the ultimate publishing decision is on a particular comment. Um, but I think that's a, it's a good approach to, to put the machine learning second because really machines and AI, they just haven't, it just hasn't caught up with, um, with human ability to interpret free text, you know?
0: I just, uh, did a deep dive into machine learning for, um, a robotics story I was working on uh-huh. last year. And, uh, yeah and I realized that's the thing, like the training set is the big deal and until you mm-hmm. have a sufficient set of things that you can use to train uh, machine learning algorithms you don't get great results, you get erratic results mm-hmm. and some sites or some places are willing, for comments or for other things they're willing to say, we're going to take bad results over no results or we can't hire enough people to do it. In this situation because you have people doing peer reviewing you're essentially able to train the system and mm-hmm. your machine learning algorithms will become better and better in the back end and ostensibly at some point you're uh, those machine learning algorithms may become almost hard uh, uh, hard to to separate from what a human's reaction would be, at which point that gives you more options for where in the chain machine learning comes to.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And ours have already improved so much. We do. We have an, a fallback algorithm for um, making a publishing decision if, if there's just too low of a volume to have everyone be rating everyone else's comments. Um, and it's working well. It's still, you know, it has a long way to go as far as being as good as a human screener. But um, yeah, but yeah it's
0: millions of comments to get. I mean, that's the advantage. Yeah, League, that's, yeah. League of Legends has this huge advantage because they mm-hmm. have like a trillion. They record every single thing you do. Oh, every mouse amazing. motion. Wow. Every pause. So they, they assemble. Jeffrey couldn't even tell me something on the order of maybe <laughs> a trillion data points a year. Oh, uh, wow. So they, and they, so they can test things and deploy it. They did things like even, uh, they, they tested, um, uh, what we call it? like prompting people, so they would show different messages before people did something or after they did something that was either corrective or or advice. Like remember, mm-hmm. games, uh, you're more likely to win if you establish positive communication with your comrades. And they would test mm-hmm. it in white and red and different colors, and they found a nice. statistically meaningful difference between colors, not just messages, but even like oh, red versus so white, yeah. which may be a cultural thing, maybe the way our you know it might be a visual perceptive thing, um, but it's very difficult for people at that level of discussion, you know, or that level of uh, of magnitude, uh, to um, to pull off, to pull it off. Um, but I was also no, interested in this amazing. thing you talked about, like the peer review thing. I think a lot of people are meta commentators, um, or they're. They're meta-pundits. Like this came out in the 2008 election. A lot of people said, well, I'll vote for Obama, but most other people wouldn't. But it turned out most people, you know, a majority of, of electoral college votes at least went mm-hmm. to that and uh, the popular vote went to people who actually did agree with the person's own opinion, mm-hmm. uh, but they assumed no one else would. So the the thing that I think is funny here is like this, this applies directly here is people will be more objective about the tone of someone else's comment, right? They'll look at mm-hmm. it and say, well, I would never post something like that. That's really nasty. Even right. if they just posted something nasty, uh, yeah, they might evaluate. Yeah. I mean, is that a different evaluative skill?
1: No, I don't. I mean, I don't think so. And again, like people always think that their own, um, comp, you know, their own behavior is justified. But this is part of it. Um, and I didn't mention this before. I don't think. But the last thing that you see is your own comment, and you have to you have to rate your own comment for quality and civility. Um, and so we also separate that out because I think. Um, you know, we, we've just assumed from the beginning that um, people will mark things as uncivil if they disagree with them mm. um, or they just don't like the comment. Um, so we've separated it out. We have a quality related um, question. It's just, do you like this comment? And there's like a, a yes, no, and sort of is the middle one with like a thumb that's pointed sideways. Um, and then the second question is, is it civil and respectful? Um, and so that really helps, you know, people say, well, okay, this is maybe not a, a great high quality comment, but you know, it's perfectly civil, or maybe I like this comment, maybe it's very snarky and rude, and, and that's why I like it, but it's also not civil, and so it shouldn't be published. Um, so it's really helpful, we've found, um, having those separate questions, but also um, that, that last step of seeing your own comment, and then it puts you in this mode, it sort of turns <laughs> the mirror around where you're like, oh how are other people going to rate my own co- you know rate my comment and that's where we see people making a lot of changes um or abandoning or abandoning the comment um we have a an abandonment rate now about 6% in our interesting. testing um but i mean it's not um it's not a terribly high abandonment rate but still it's it's interesting and when we found when we when we go through and look at the actual comments that have been abandoned they typically are you know on the on the more rude end of things <laughs> so it's interesting to see, but also um, we do see that people are making edits too in that in that last st- step um, to decide like, oh, okay, maybe I need to change my wording here, tone this down a bit, so.
0: So it's an interesting yeah. thing about like the uh, trying to approach that without rubbing someone's nose in it. And I feel like the mm-hmm. way like, you know, the Twitter has a suspension policy now, which I wonder if they will ever extend in a different way. The suspension policy uh, will sometimes if you're if they want to reinstate you, you'll get this screen now. Or I think you have to go to the site or maybe it comes up, I think, in their app as well, but not third party apps. And it says this tweet does not meet our standards. Uh, if you mm-hmm. want to reenable your account, you need to delete it. They won't delete it for you. But Uh if you want the account back, you have to delete it or that account is abandoned forever. And the last thing is this horrible thing or thing they identified Mm -hmm. as horrible. Not always horrible. I mean, a lot of the times the ones I've seen people have posted are pretty bad and they're not self-aware that it's bad. Uh, But in other cases, it's like, really? Where does that violate? And they won't tell you exactly the standards. In your case it sounds like what you're trying to do is let people uh, re- uh receive a um like enlightenment like they see it in context and mm-hmm. it is not don't post this but rather okay now here with all the context you have here's the thing you wrote which is a mm-hmm. different uh it's it's not nasty it's um it's no. a, a, a but it gets lets people achieve their own result uh, their own awareness of what they've done
1: right exactly and that's that's exactly what we want so it's yeah, a very it, interesting it approach. W- I, works I like it because
0: well so <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the thing: is a lot of sites. Uh, I, I just uh, the the sites that throw up their hands either one way or the other. Like I actually mm-hmm. have agreed some some sites. Like I think Daily Dot. They have a very uh, they have a younger audience. It's a mm-hmm. lot more volatile, and they got rid of comments because they couldn't figure out a way technologically or culturally to make it work for them. And I don't think it affected their site as much. And people discussed it on Twitter. They discussed them on Facebook. They discussed them in other fora. Uh, so they're not limited. They're not saying, oh, I can never comment on Daily Dot. I don't think the site had that orientation. But you see others uh, like, I don't know, The Verge or The Vox sites mm-hmm. where – there's a very, you know, it's a variable thing. You can flag posts, but there's so much discussion. Um, I had a conversation with uh, the fellow behind Little Green Footballs, which is a political site and very volatile. Mm-hmm. He's a, yeah. you know, former uh, right wing guy who now writes, you know, a little bit from the other side. And so as a as a convert or a changeover, he gets <laughs> a lot of nastiness, and he's gotten sure. attacked and stalked and whatever. And he's a programmer also, and he's like, you know, I built a system that handles. I forget what he's got tens of thousands of comments a week. He barely has to do any manual work. The system self polices. And this tone remains within the degrees of civility that he thinks are appropriate, which are not having personal attacks, posting mm-hmm. personal information. So there's ways to do it. I mean, some of it like that. He's hand tuned <laughs> that. It's not something that's available. But right. I I do worry about sites that have thrown up their hands and say, ah, there's nothing we can do. This is right. the internet. We'll moderate it. We'll take the egregious stuff off and blah, you know?
1: Right. Well, I don't think that the, you know, it's just saying, well, this is the internet. This is how it is, you know, has to be the case, you know, because. We, we as humans have evolved over, over thousands of years in different communities and established these different, um, you know, sort of community rules and, um, and guidelines and social norms. And I think that that's just what we need for the internet. I think mm-hmm. that, um, and we can establish that and it can be different across different sites. And that's the, the cool thing here is that, each site can sort of determine for itself because it's the users who are determining what's civil and what's not civil. So sort of this, um, inherent question of what is civil is, is answered essentially by the community and publishers. We, we do have a lot of tools for publishers on the back end so they can sort of steer the tone and, um, and there are different sliders they can use to adjust, um, adjust the, the sort of direction that they want to go for the community. But, um, but on the front end, people don't see any of that and it's, and it just, um, You know, it just sort of happens. Um, So, yeah, it's
0: very exciting. Uh, I also have to point out that your uh, product name is um, one of the easiest to pronounce. I'm thinking like (laughs) Gigya,
1: Gigya, Kinja, Discus
0: (laughs) with a Q. Um, It'll make it easier to figure out which one it is. But I do love the fact that there's a lot of – there's action going on that that sites – companies that are developing the systems and sites that uh, want to have, um, you know, user interaction. Uh, That used to be – you know, Macworld had its own homebrew sort of system that was very popular – and it wasn't maintainable over time. When IDG switched its code base, they switched to, I don't know if they went to Gigia first, but um, that's what's there now. And some of the community was lost because it wasn't, you know, the archives are gone. Um, mm, that's the, too bad. The transition, yeah. And the new system doesn't allow the same kind of like, it's all article based, but it had to be something that was more manageable by the current staff. And I think there's even going to be more evolution uh, at IDG and other sites and beyond because, you uh, Uh, I, you know, I am definitely of the mind that readers are, um, you know, is that who's up on stage, who's in the audience thing. And I think Mm -hmm. that part of the democratizing influence of the internet is that, you know, the the stage is still there, but you need to get people who are in the audience to be coming up all the time too. Mm -hmm. And I think comments are part of that. So I... I don't know. I'm I'm sometimes when people say the comments are turned off in a site, I'm like, yay, they got rid of the comments, but that's a site that just didn't have comments that it was just it didn't work for them right. and they didn't solved it. But with newer systems, I'm hoping maybe Civility could creep back in and we'll we'll have better discourse. Um, that's well, what I hope too. <laughs> well, it's good. Well, you've dedicated yourself to it. We'll stand, yeah. uh, we'll see where it goes. I've done some beta testing. I gotta, I'll drop in when you uh, do more testing too, because it's been oh, fun great, to thanks. fun to see what happens there. Um, well, I think that's uh, that's about our usual run of time here. And uh, I know we took a, a detour, but I know that comments uh, which we'd like to hear from you. You can leave comments, by the way, at macworld.com on this podcast. Uh, you can reach us at podcast at macworld.com. You can find Susie and I. On the Twitter, uh, I'm Glenn F with two N's, G-L-E-N-N-F. And Susie is S-F-Suz, S-F-S-O-O-Z, like Z on the Twitter. And let us know what you think. We do want to hear your feedback. And uh, next week, I'm sure we'll be uh, dealing with the uh, aftermath of CES and other surprising announcements. And who knows, maybe Apple will ship uh, five or ten products like they do, surprisingly from time to time although I think I doubt it I think it's a little too early in the year uh, but I want to thank uh, our guest Krista Mergen thank you for being on the show well
1: thank you so much for having
0: me it's been great talking with you it's been a pleasure and thank you listeners for, for listening to this episode 489 of the Macworld podcast for January 6, 2015 we'll be back next week and thank you again for listening